Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of the Online Selling Partner Podcast. Uh, I'm Isaiah Fritz, uh, the CEO founder of Online Selling Partner. And so I have with me Corey, um, great guy, and he, he does something similar to us. He might even be a competitor. And I have him, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have him on my podcast today. So I don't know what I was thinking, but he's a great guy. And um, so, Corey, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Isaiah, thanks so much for having me, man. So like you said, my name's Corey Gannam. Our company is called Brand Rocket. We do do similar things. We do some brand management and some exclusive partnerships with some brands, primarily in the tool and automotive category. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense to collaborate with competitors like we were talking about before the call. Plenty of opportunity between or, and when it comes to collaboration between the two of us. So thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Absolutely. Well, Corey, you've been producing some great content on Twitter starting to jump on LinkedIn more. And um, it's really just awesome to see, uh, you know, you getting out there and, and making stuff happen. So um, quick, you I would love to, to learn more about your history. I mean, uh, you know, I've been selling on Amazon for eight years. And you know, I started from nothing. And but I would love to hear I'm, I'm sure you have a similar story. So I, I want to just hear your story. Yeah, it's funny. So you've been selling on Amazon for eight years, like you said, I am five years older than you and I've only been and you've been selling on Amazon longer than me. So I've what? I've been selling on Amazon. Yeah. So I started right after college, two days after I graduated college is when I started selling on Amazon. So that was I like that May. degree really helped you. <laughs> well, um, it didn't help. It, let's just put it this way. It doesn't help with the Amazon business. I think it helped with other things, but oh, good. that's an entirely other. Uh... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I have to know. What did your degree help you with? What is your degree? Well, it helped me. So I double majored in entrepreneurship and marketing. Okay. Cool. And so, it, I mean, it got me a, a <laughs> solid first job right out of college that nice. I really did not like. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. So it's for it's because of that job that I pursued Amazon full time. So if anything, college led to that job, which led to this business. So I think, I guess, in a backwards way, you could uh, thank college for, for me <laughs> for being where I am now. That's awesome. Well, I... I think that's cool. And, and obviously you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you wouldn't have majored in college to be an entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. a lot of people I know, they're like, yeah, I majored in college for, I don't know, history studies or something. I'm like, okay. And now, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're working in the uh, McDonald's uh, drive-thru. So, right. But, <laughs> but anyway, um, it's amazing uh, how much education there is online now where like, you know, I didn't go to college and, you know, I, I was able to, be an entrepreneur, build a business just from learning from the internet, you know, for right. those who are listening to this podcast, trying to get educated. Um, you know, I mean, that's what I did. I would just listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos and read books, you know, the good old fashioned reading books. <laughs> and yep. it, it really, it really helps. So anyway, sorry to go on that tangent, but I think it, it's, it's, it's such a, a important thing that, um, you know, historically, like if we go back to like the 1700s, um, when, you know, the, there, you couldn't have access to the information unless you went to college, right? right. I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, I, I'm at home, I might, you know, owning a book is a luxury, right? And mm -hmm. now I'm going to a college that has libraries of books and people that have read all these books and have been to different countries and all these things. And, and, you know, where it would take like two months to travel to Europe over a, a boat and you might die on the way there. And like, right. <laughs> you know, and all this stuff was at colleges and, and there, there was a value to going to college where now all of that information and everything is on chat GPT. Yep. It's <laughs> completely accessible. I mean, it's, it's crazy how the, 
Like there's no gatekeepers information anymore. Like you said, the, the old gatekeepers of information were the schools, were the universities. And really to get anywhere in corporate America, you had to go through those gatekeepers. But like you said, these days, that's not the case. You can learn just about any skill you want to learn online, on YouTube, through courses, through AI tools like ChatGPT, like you mentioned. And really these days, the opportunities are limitless. So I agree with you there. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just think it's so cool. So, okay. Going back to your story, Corey, <laughs> sorry to go on a tangent like that, but that's such an important subject to talk about. And I think it should be talked about, um, especially those that are, are working in, in corporate America and they got kids that are, you know, college age or whatever. It's like, man, do you really need to pay 50 grand for your kids to go through college? I mean, Corey, are you going to do that? Uh, so it depends on what my kids would want to go to school for. So if that's they wanted to go, point. yeah. So if they wanted to go and get a degree that is going to be worth something, then sure, I'll pay for it because my parents did that for me. And I feel like that's a good investment to make in your kids. But if they want to go and study like history or art, then then I think it's my job to educate them on one, why that's a bad decision. And two, if they decide to make that decision, then they're going to be the ones paying for it. That makes sense. Similar thoughts. If my kids want to be a doctor and need to pass, you know, those right. And stuff. I mean, like, I really let's put it this way. I, I want all my doctors going to school. I don't want to yeah. have a doctor that's that learned on YouTube. So school is important for some people. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, no, I totally agree. So anyway, so going back to your story, you're two days after college. And you're like, how did you even find out about Amazon? Yeah, so I found out. Yeah. So during my senior year of college, I discovered Reezy resells on YouTube. So he is he's been on YouTube for about 10 years. He was a big bookseller back in the day. So he was going to thrift stores buying used books for 25 cents, 50 cents a dollar and flipping them on Amazon for anywhere from 20 to 30, sometimes 50, $100 if they were these bigger textbooks. So mm -hmm. really, I just I did it. I, that's how I started, right? I saw it as more of a side hustle. So I was going around to thrift stores, buying books, flipping them on Amazon. And then a couple months later, I actually moved to Chicago where I had my first full-time just real corporate job. And so I didn't have a car with me. I, and so in, if I wanted to continue selling on Amazon, I couldn't keep doing, I couldn't keep going to thrift stores and buying books. I didn't have a way to get around. So I started doing what's now known as online arbitrage. So just buying stuff on target.com, Walmart, walmart.com, some of these retail websites like on clearance and then turning around and flipping those on Amazon. And then about, I want to say a year and a half into that venture, the online arbitrage, I was still living in Chicago, so still didn't have any transportation, but I stumbled upon what we now do, which is called Amazon Wholesale, as you know, which is just buying from either authorized distributors or buying directly from the manufacturer and flipping on Amazon. And now it just so happened that while I was living in Chicago, one of the brands that I had reached out to was also located in Chicago and they were having a big issue that, I mean, a lot of the brands that we work with experience, and I, I know all of the brands that you work with experience this issue where it's a, you know, a medium sized brand. They've got about 30 or so employees, a couple million dollars per year in revenue. They had, I want to say about 15 to 20 Amazon resellers at the time. Hmm. And they, they ran into every issue in the book that you could possibly experience while dealing with Amazon. Uh, they had a map policy, but it wasn't being followed. Their list, they had duplicate listings that were, pulling sales away from the main listings, right? Yes. None of their sellers were running PPC. They were not brand registered. They did, had no content on their listings whatsoever. The main images were outdated. Some of their listings had two images, no SEO, like you name it, I could keep going. <laughs> and I, uh, so luckily enough, this brand happened to be located in Chicago. And I, I mean, similar to you, I know your approach. I always like to lead with value. I always like to educate the people that I'm trying to work with. 
So when I got on the phone with this particular brand, they very quickly said, oh, you guys want to sell on Amazon? No, sorry, not going to work. I'm like, well, listen, okay, understood. If you don't want to work with us, that's fine. But at the very least, let me give you my perspective as a third-party seller so I can at least show you what's going on on Amazon when it comes to your products and then do whatever you want with the information. I don't really care. I'm just trying to help. And so I got them on the phone. The uh, kind of the, the person to step under the CEO is who I was spoke, speaking to. That She liked what I had to hear, so she invited me into their office. The next day, I just went to their office. And keep in mind, I'd only been selling on Amazon for like less than two years at this point. I'm pretty new to this particular business model. So it wasn't necessarily fake it till you make it because I knew like I knew what I was saying to, up to a point, but I didn't necessarily have the track record to back it up at the time. So when I get to the, uh, we got to the company's headquarters, walked their warehouse, saw how they manufacture their in-house in Chicago, met the CEO, met his, his team, and really, like I said, my goal was to educate. So that's exactly what I did. I showed them what was wrong and I showed them how we could help them fix it. They liked what I had to say. And within, I want to say it took them, it probably took them another three or four months, but they did end up cutting off the large bulk of their resellers. They chose us and then one other seller as their two exclusives. We got an exclusive on their 10 best SKUs and then the other seller was allowed to sell the rest of their line. And we worked with them to do a lot of the stuff that you guys do, Isaiah. We touched up their listings. We got them brand registry. We got them enrolled in brand registry. We started running PPC advertising. We developed A plus content. We touched up the SEO on their main listings and really all their listings, right? So nice. just doing doing the things that need to be done if a brand is to succeed on Amazon. And I mean, sales went up as a result, as they always do. Now, was that in the automotive tool space? Yeah, so this was a tool company. They're uh, they're they've got tool in their name. I'm just not going to mention them just for confidentiality purposes. But that yeah, and they well, manufacture. Huh? You just let me know, and I'll I'll pitch them. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's that's partially why I don't want to mention them because I don't want you to go in and backdoor me. No, no, it's all good. No, no, I'll, I'll even say so. The company is Ur Okay, <laughs> I won't. No, you don't have to. It's no big deal. But anyway, I think uh, I think it's a it's a great case study to just you know I think my first brand was similar um, where they uh, was just a local company. I went you know and I didn't have much of a track record uh, and I they were selling on Amazon. They were selling on their Shopify site. Their um, they were selling on Amazon. Amazon had shut them down for late shipments and other problems. Mm -hmm. They were, they didn't even have a a three P or Thunder Central account at the time. They were just not on Amazon. And they hated Amazon. And so I said, hey, you're missing out on sales. You know, give me a chance. And they said, eh, well, you're too late, Yuri. There's somebody that came two weeks ago and uh, they're going to be our Amazon seller. So I said, well, put me head to head with them. <laughs> and so yeah. I, and I created my own listings. They created their own listings. And uh, Which, by the way, t as you know, not a good way to go about it. <laughs> You're no, saying you created like listings from scratch for the same SKU from the from the same no, brand? No, it was different SKUs. Oh, different. different oh, I lines, see. Different lines of product. Got and, it. Okay. Uh, I thought you meant you just made, you guys made duplicates. I'm like, oof, that's not a great pitch. <laughs> no, 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 no. We made difference. Anyway, I sold a thousand. Uh, they were candles. I sold a thousand candles. The other guy sold eighteen. So I remember. Up. I heard you talk about this in Scott's yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. So so. They ended up going, and that's and I think that's so cool. Like your first brand that you work with, like getting that face to face, building that rapport, and knowing that you know they know where you live, so they can choke you out if you do something wrong. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. like all, all, all of those things. You know, it, it, it's cool. I I think you know the business is um, really about relationships. I think in a world of AI and all the internet stuff and automation, people want to deal with people.
They want to mm-hmm. deal with people that they trust, and there's so much distrust in the world. I think like um, if we can not only do what we say we can do, but also do it while we're having a good relationship with them, I think you know that's not dead. A lot of people think that's dead. It's not. It's not you. <laughs> you got to build a relationship. You got to you got to be honest. You got to fulfill your promises. And uh, and if you can do that, then you're going to be you have a successful business. So, you know, that's all you need to do. You need to solve a problem and do what you say you're going to do. <laughs> I completely agree. And so the relationship aspect of this business is why <laughs> I think you and I are so good at it, because like you and I are salespeople. We know how to talk to people. We know how to build relationships. We know how to build rapport. We know what to say, but not only do we know what to say, but we also know how to back it up as well. And I think that that's the reason 99, probably 99.9% of people fail in this business is because they're not taking the long-term approach. So they're not going out of their way to build the relationships. They're thinking transactional. They want to place an order, flip a couple of products, make some quick money. And then if that, if that supplier cuts them off, whatever, they're on to the next one. That is, as you and I know, not the way to do this, not the way to build a long-term business. And it's the reason that people like you and I, I mean, I've been at it for six years. You've been at it for eight years. We would have been done after six weeks or eight weeks had we taken the latter approach, which I think a lot of people, at least if you're a seller and you're listening to this, that's what you should take away is that relationships are the lifeblood of this business. You got to treat it like one. And if you're a brand, you need to deal with someone that you have a good relationship with. Because Mm -hmm. if you're just in a transactional relationship with Amazon sellers and you have 14 sellers just selling your product, they don't care about your brand. They're not doing the extra work, the extra mile to update your listings and your content and and making sure you have the the best SEO. And and when somebody types in the primary keyword in your category, they're trying to figure out the best way to make the best first photo so that you're going to have the highest click through rate and make sure that, you know, you come up first and, and, and increase your conversions and all that. Like if you have someone that you actually have a relationship with that understands your brand, understands your goals and is also good at what they're doing, like that that's a way better uh relationship to be in than just, hey, I'm just gonna sell to to any any old seller out there out of their garage and they can represent my brand any way they want to, you know, and, and I think uh the only time I've seen that actually successful, I'm gonna say in air quotes. <laughs> Is, well, that'd be one more than me because I've never seen it work. But continue. I, I, if I, if from a brand's perspective, is a brand that, and I didn't like the strategy, but this is what they did, is they wanted to um, dump inventory. So, and because they did it to me, right? They said, "Hey, um, you know, this is a high demand product. Not everybody's gonna get it. Blah blah blah. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna sell it to you, and you're uh, you're gonna be." you know, one of the only people that get it, blah, blah, blah. And then they go to the next brand and they they say the same thing and they say the same thing. And then so now they sold a lot of product, right? Mm-hmm. But they flooded the market. And now all these people just own product and the price points sunk on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But the brand didn't care. They were just like, whatever. And then now they just had all these resellers mad at them because they're like, wait a second, you're just selling me a bunch of products. I'm not going to deal with you again. It's the brand wasn't thinking long-term. The brand was just- yeah, I was about to say, that is about as short-term. Like, I I mean, I, I haven't heard of many brands that operate that poorly. That's is about as short. Like, that's the only strategy that, 
let me step back a second. The only way I see that strategy working is if that brand literally was planning on closing their doors. Like the only reason a brand would ever do that is if, hey, we are going out of business next week if we can't pay this bill, so we've got to just sell inventory to whoever. That's probably the single worst strategy I've ever heard in my entire life. And I can't believe, I mean, if that brand is still has any shred of market share on Amazon, I'd be astonished. And also just to, to touch on your point, so you talked about having multiple resellers as not being in a brand's best interest because none of them are, basically they're just taking a slice out of the pie, right? They're not doing anything to increase the total size of the pie. But right. in these resellers defense, why would they? If a brand is gonna let 15 different people sell their products, none of those 15 people would or should feel obligated to that brand. The brand's obviously not obligated to them, if I have to compete with 15 other people because I'm quote unquote authorized, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to put in any effort elevating that brand because they, I, they see me as one of 15. If I yeah. was one of one, then absolutely. That's a completely different conversation. Maybe if I'm even one of two or one of three, but it, it's a two way street, right? You can't have a, a brand can't expect a third party seller to do all this free work when they're competing with 15 other people. You see what I mean? Yeah. And I'm going to, let's say I want to do the work and I'm getting 10% of your sales and you know, well, I'm only going to get 10% of reward. And let's say, I don't know if you're going to add maybe 10 more resellers and now I'm only going to get, you know, 5% of your sales. And, yep. and so I'm, you know, but if I know I actually have a relationship with you and I know I can predict if I do all this upfront work, I'm going to get this return on my investment. Then, you know, if you give me a hundred percent of sales, I'm going to be a hundred percent in. Right? Mm -hmm. It's you know, incentives are aligned completely. And that's why I love your model. And we operate, we have the exact same model in the sense of when you're exclusive, when you're the only authorized reseller for a brand, whether that's at, at the SKU level, or at the whole, at the whole product line level, then, and you only make your money when you sell products, right? Because you don't charge these brands for the service as you shouldn't, then your incentive is completely aligned to increase sales because as the brand sales increase, you make more money. As the brand sales increase, the brand makes more money. Everybody is 100% fully aligned and any other model simply, I mean, there's other models that work, but they, they just don't make as much sense to me. I agree. And I, and I think that it's the only way to survive on Amazon is really because if you're not focused on your brand on Amazon, your competitors, other brands are going to take your market share. They're going to take those, 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 uh, searches. They're going to take your market share. Right? That's the mm -hmm. most simple way to put it. And I think um, if I was a brand today, which you know I work with a lot of brands, I would be thinking, what am I going to be doing in the next five years, next ten years, you know? And if it's this constant just race to the bottom, random resellers, and you're not you're not focused on growth um, uh, compared to your other competitors, then your competitors are focused on it, and mm -hmm. their focus like your competitors do have one seller. Go look at it. I mean, some of them are only going to have one seller and they're going to focus on taking market share from you. On growth. Yep. Yeah. A lot of these competitors are straight out of China. If you click on the seller name and it'll say Xing Jing Jing, you know, China, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you will see that these these Chinese competitors are focused 100% aligned to just take market share from you. And so it's it's what you need to do. Like you, you, you will lose in the long run. And I would imagine that most brands are losing market share compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, just because the sheer volume of more focused brands 
and private label brands and Chinese brands that are coming on the market just focused on Amazon and taking your market share. And that's exactly something that just to, to reiterate that point. So you've got these bigger brands that have been around for a while that they have their Amazon channel as more of an afterthought. They've got to keep in mind that they are competing on Amazon with with Amazon native brands, like brands yeah. that launched on Amazon, where it's their only channel, they're 100% focused on Amazon. So mm -hmm. you're telling me that, and it makes perfect sense, an Amazon native brand in the same category as maybe one of these legacy brands is going to dominate that legacy brand on Amazon because that is their, that's their only focus. Their Absolutely. only focus is taking market share from these established brands on Amazon. And it's going to continue because, and, and the reason a lot of these legacy brands might not prioritize Amazon as a channel because they say, oh, it's only 5% of sales or 10 or 20% of sales, whatever. Well, if you have that, if you keep that mentality, not only is it going to be 10% of sales, but next year it's going to be 6% of sales. And it's not like it's just always going to be a static percentage. It's always going to go down unless you're proactively increasing it. And when you have a partner that essentially increases it for free, right? Yeah. Which is how our model works. Like it's, exactly. it's just mind boggling. Like some of the, some of the objections that we get sometimes you can tell some of these brands just don't get it and that's yeah. fine. They're going to continue to, um, really just not grow on Amazon. Like we only, and I know that you, you operate by the same principle. We only work with brands that want to grow on Amazon and that get it right. It's, it's enough. It's not enough to just say like, Oh, well we want to grow on Amazon, but we want to have 15 resellers. It's like, no, you don't get it right. You've got to both what, know what you want, which is Amazon growth. And you've got to understand that there's really an optimal approach to get there. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself, Corey. And I think, uh, I think you should just look at your strategy and make sure that you even have a strategy. A lot of brands don't even have a strategy, but, um, but anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, the tools and automotive categories. I think, uh, anybody out there, that are playing in that space. I think it's a very interesting space. Uh, it's there's definitely some some nuances to the the tools and the automotive. Um, you know, I don't I don't really mess around a lot with automotive, and I think it's uh, it's fascinating. You know, I I was talking to a guy that was doing a hundred million dollars a year in automotive, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and he I said, so do you have any advice? And he's like, my advice is get into the automotive industry. And I'm like, well. <laughs> With all these like electric cars coming on and all this stuff, I mean, is it really? He's like, dude, it's going to take a really long time, mm -hmm. a really long time to replace uh, uh, all of the gas engines. He said it, it's not going anywhere. In fact, it's growing, and mm -hmm. and it's like a lot of people aren't thinking that way, and so and there's and, and it's a really underserved category on Amazon. It and, is, and there's a lot to it. Now the complexities, uh, you know, I, I see that there's, you've got to have a part that fit, fits exactly, you know, your Chevy 1500, 2006. Yeah, there's like, oh, uh, complexities there. Um, you know, what do they even call that when when it's like really specific to each vehicle? There's a there's a name. Uh, for um, so I can't think of a term meaning like specificity to each, but basically like each part has to be a perfect fit. You're saying like yeah, yeah. for that specific model, for that specific make, <laughs> for that specific everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is going to be a, like a nuance of that category, but really it depends on like the type of brand and their strategy as well. So, I mean, I know just to give you context, like one of the main tool brands that we work with, for example, they provide testing kits for, uh, for cars, for motorcycles and for, large automotive vehicles 
And so they're not like they don't have a ton of variations, right? But they do have they their products are a much higher sale price than normal. There's hazmat considerations with some of their SKUs being designated as dangerous goods. So there's considerations there. And also this particular brand uh, sells through, I want to say five or six of the primary tool distributors here in the States. And one or two of those tool distributors is not being very cooperative when this brand is trying to limit the number of Amazon resellers. So, and that's something that we could get into as well. If you want to talk about, well, how does a brand go about cleaning up distribution and really getting control of Amazon? Because that's an issue that regardless of the category you're in, you're going to face. Yeah, for sure. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so this particular tool brand, I mean, like I said, they've got uh, five to six primary distributors that they're selling through. They've got, well, they claim they have about, I want to say 10 to 15 authorized resellers. <laughs> and on their listing with the most resellers, they've actually got over 200 sellers on that listing. So that obviously tells you, yeah, so that tells you drop shippers. Yep. So a lot of those are drop shippers, but at the same time, a lot of those do have FBA inventory and they've been under map for, in fact, I did a Twitter thread on this recently. The number one SKU from this brand has not been map compliant since October of 2022. And <laughs> during October of 2022, it was map compliant for about six days. So this brand is having a lot of issues across the board. And this also isn't some small mom and pop brand. This is a multi eight figure tool brand that's pretty well known in their space with 30 plus employees that if I mention them and anybody's familiar with that space, they probably uh, know who I was talking about. But again, back to the point of the issue with the authorized reseller. So again, the goal is to limit distribution because they've chosen us and uh, I want to say two to three other resellers to represent them across the board, us on a handful of their exclusively on a couple of their key SKUs. And the solution that they've come to as far as getting uh, really just limiting distribution uh, is so on the one SKU where they, like I said, they've got over 200 sellers, they've chosen to start one SKU at a time with that SKU and enroll that in the transparency program. And now you and I know that the, the goal of the transparency program is not to enforce authorized selling agreements. However, this particular ASIN, they have had some counterfeit issues on. So they have done some test buys from, from some sellers on this listing. They've determined that some of the products they've received are counterfeits. And we know that the goal of the transparency program is to prevent counterfeit. So by enrolling the SKU in the transparency program, they kill two birds with one stone, right? They eliminate the counterfeiting issue and they can then also only provide the transparency labels to the sellers that they've authorized. Since they do all of our fulfillment, they'll be able to easily control who gets that SKU moving forward. Yeah. And, um, the transparency program definitely works, but just be careful that you read all the terms and services. Mm -hmm. That's what I would recommend to anyone. Um, but it, it is, it's great for preventing counterfeits, preventing, uh, you know, wrong inventory going into that ASIN and which we see that also and mm -hmm. sure that it's the right SKUs that are going in. So, you know, any way that you can differentiate your SKUs on Amazon to your retail SKUs or anything like that definitely also helps with distribution and control. Mm -hmm. So if you say, you know, even if it's a different model on Amazon, then that goes to your distributors. That's an easy way to control it. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, but really, sometimes you just got to contact the resellers or the distributors and have that hard conversation. And you're going to have uh, what I don't, I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with EOS or, or traction. Um, they call it the 36 hours of pain. Yeah. 
you're gonna have that 36 hours of pain where it's like oh man but then it's over it's like it's over i mean you're not losing any sales over it some people are like oh we're gonna lose sales over this it's like no the, the companies are still work with you uh to sell in brick and mortar it's fine it's becoming more normal to control distribution online because it's imperative it's 100 yeah. percent critical and that's yeah. and just to, sorry to cut you off but that's another thing too that that's something I've been trying to get this particular tool brand to do is have that tough conversation with these one to two primary distributors that will that do just sell to everybody. It's like, listen, you've got to have a tough conversation with them and make it clear to them that, listen, if they don't comply with you, like you are the brand owner, you're the one supplying them. They should be the ones listening to you. So you can, I mean, hopefully it doesn't come to this, but you've got to be willing to withhold shipments if they don't comply with your authorized distribution strategy. Because if anything, them making a couple of extra sales to some random Amazon sellers is not really going to benefit you at the end of the day. And by you have you causing them to limit those some of those sales, yes, it might be a very, very small short term dip in sales. But you and I both know, Isaiah, that the long term increase in sales that that's going to generate will 10, 50, 100x that small loss over time. Absolutely. So that's why that goes back to my point of we only want to work with brands that get it that understand that maybe some very short-term sacrifices need to be made to get things cleaned up that are going to lead to massive, massive gains in the long term. Yeah, and a lot of the brands we work with might only have 1%, 2% of their market share in their category. And, you know, where a lot of their competitors have 10 15% market share, there's a lot of market share you could be going after, but you can't be doing it if you're dealing with the whole distribution thing. And right. so there's a lot of extra growth that can come, but even if it's 50% growth, um, we, and, and most of your distributors will work with you. I, I've never, you know, there's very, very, very few distributors where it's actually difficult when you actually get into it because a lot of them are getting used to the conversation because mm -hmm. it's just the way it is now. Um, and uh, you've got to control your distribution, number one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And quite frankly, I mean, the bigger the brand that you are, the more leverage you're going to have with those distributors. Because if, you, if you're the brand and you're telling those distributors, hey, stop selling to Amazon sellers and we're going to stop selling to you. If you're a big brand and they buy a lot from you, they're going to listen. Right. <laughs> and even if you're a smaller brand, I mean, if they're legit partners, they should listen to you. Some of them, it might take some arm twisting to get them to comply if you are a smaller brand. But that goes back. I mean, at that point, you might want to be reevaluating who you choose to distribute your product if they're not going to listen to you. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that it's uh, at the very worst. At the very worst, they can say a hard no, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you should at least have a conversation, you know, and you should go to them and say, "Hey, this is what's happening." Have a really good relationship conversation, and we really need to control our, our distribution on Amazon. What can we do? What programs do you have in place that we can we can do this? And uh, I, I, you know, just try it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, th I think this is great, Corey. I mean, I, I know we could talk all day on things that we see and the problems we have to deal with and the headaches we have to deal with. And I don't think the, you know, people realize how much it goes into Amazon because not only are we a marketing company, we're a logistics company, we're a distribution control company, we're, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing everything for these, for these brands. And it's really hard to do it in house. I mean, like we have 40 people working here, uh, you know, to and most most every one of them are going to touch your brand in some way, shape, or form. Right. You know, if you got one part-time guy managing your Amazon, is that really going to uh, is that going to scale? You know. So, a lot of people uh, 
don't even have an Amazon department. The VP sales that sells to everyone, they also sell to Amazon. Yeah, well, that's, that is an issue that a lot of brands face, right? Because like we said, they a lot of them just don't see the potential. They don't take it seriously. So they've got, like you said, somebody in sales or somebody in marketing where they're, there's part of their, half of their job is dealing with Amazon. And that half of the job is them chasing down 15 resellers, getting them to, asking them to price at map, asking them to stop undercutting everybody else. Like, I think you and I realize how much time is wasted by some of these executive level folks at these brands when they could just outsource that channel to somebody like you, somebody like me, make more money and not pay anything for it, right? Like when you, cause when you, I feel like when we can act, like when you and I can actually sit down with a brand owner who gets it and have this conversation, it's not even a pitch. Like they get it. It's an easy sell. If anything, they just, like, it's more of like a time, time frame issue at that point. Like either they're ready to implement right away or they kind of got to get ducks in a row and then they're ready to implement. You know, Corey, I don't have anything to sell any brand. I sell stuff on Amazon. I sell inventory on Amazon. So mm-hmm. we give brands money. We're like, here, we want to give you more money. Right, like take take our money. Like, take seriously. Our money. <laughs> like there's no there's no pitch. I mean, in, in the sense, like it's just like, hey, I mean, we're here. It's a it's better than what you got, and there's no risk. There's no um, you don't have to pay us anything. We're doing mm-hmm. it for free. And we want to continue to do that and provide as much value as possible and align our incentives with the brands. And um, so, yeah, this has been great, Corey. And I think uh, I'm, I'm wishing you best of luck. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's just amazing what you've done so far. And, uh, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Yeah, well, no, I mean, you've done very, I mean, you shoot, you've done bigger things than me. And like I said, you're about five years younger than me. And I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Like you said, we could go all day on this stuff. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll run it back again. (laughs) All right, man. Well, I will, uh, I will end it with you telling people how to follow you on, on socials and how to contact you. Yeah. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me further, so like I said at the beginning, our company is Brand Rocket. We do specialize uh, in tool and automotive brands, but we do work with a handful of brands in other categories as well. So if you're interested in reaching out to us uh, about Amazon services, it's gobrandrocket.com. And then the best place to connect with me would just be on LinkedIn. So I'm Corey Gannam on LinkedIn. I post there daily and connect with people in the space. Hey, that's awesome. All right, guys. Um, you know, hey, definitely evaluate me and and also <laughs> if you're thinking about Corey. <laughs> yep. Give everybody their fair shot. For sure. (laughs) Anyway, that was all fun. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Yep.